right. Good morning again. We're in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, and we are going to be in verses 4 to 7. So Hebrews chapter 11, verses 4 to 7, which is going to be on your screen. I'm going to read from chapter uh, uh, verse 1. So just listen, and then when it gets to verse 4, you can pick up on your screen. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the men of old gained approval. Verse 3, by faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. And now we can go to the screen. By faith, Abel <clears throat> offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. God testifying about his gifts, and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. <clears throat> By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death. And he was not found because God took him up. For he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those that seek him. Verse 7, by faith Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. So again, we're in chapter 11 of, of Hebrews, which is renowned for its expounding on faith. And almost every single verse starts out with by faith and then presents another person <clears throat> who from the Old Testament had this great amount of faith and did great things for God. Uh, this verse or this passage that we're in today starts off with three very particular people, Abel, which we just read about, <clears throat> Enoch, and then also Noah. And if you look through Genesis chapter 5, all the way through Genesis chapter 9 or 10, you could see the story. So our author is going back to the very, very beginning to illustrate what faith actually is. But I've noticed that when, when it comes to explaining faith to people, it's a lot like somebody coming to you and saying, tell me about God. Who is God? What is God? You know, what does God do? I mean, it's inexhaust. God is inexhaustible. And where would you begin when you start off on such a large topic? Now, last week, we covered a little bit of an introduction of what faith is and how the Christian faith is really the only intelligible faith out there from their worldview because it can account for things such as absolutes, things such as morality, Things such as uniformity of nature, things such as logic, things that could not change. They have to be there and they have to have an ultimate. And Christianity can explain that, whereas every other faith that you try to look falls short in explaining those things. They become illogical, unreasonable, inconsistent, arbitrary, however you want to say it. When it comes to 
the Christian faith as it relates to comparing it to explaining God, I see a lot of similarities because there's a lot of variations of what faith really means. If you say to somebody, you have faith, they could mean, that could mean a lot of different things. But when it comes to Christianity, there's really about three different things when we look at faith. We look at righteousness by faith, which is mentioned here several times. We see that Abel was considered righteous. He got a testimony that he was righteous. <clears throat> Enoch as well, although not directly, and then which, which we're going to look at. And then Noah, who talks, who's his his righteousness is actually looked at as a testimony as well. He's an heir of righteousness, which is according to faith. And then after last week, a couple of people said, well, what's the difference? Because we do have these discussions on Wednesday between the different types of faith. And so the first thing that I want to talk about today is really quickly to distinguish these different aspects of faith so we can put ourselves on the right track for what the author wants us to really get out of these passages. Because he's not necessarily talking about just general faith. And you could be mistaken when you look at that. What I mean by it's the faith that almost everybody has by looking at creation and nature. The Bible says everyone believes God, that there is a God because of the works that testify of him. But we suppress that knowledge. So in a sense, there are people that all people have faith, but that faith is dead with their sin. Then we have this word called righteousness, which is always matched up with faith. Faith and righteousness are always put together. <clears throat> righteousness is a status that is given to us by God, as it relates to faith, and places us in Christ, in all aspects of our redemption and salvation. Now, why I'm telling you that is because I'm talking to you as Christians. Our writer here in verse 39 of chapter, of chapter 10, right before verse, uh, chapter 12, he's about, he tells us that what he's about to say is to Christians. It's not to people that are rejecting God. Because he says it here, we are not of those who shrink back to destruction like those that fell into apostasy, but we are of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. That's who we are. We, as Christians, have faith unto the preserving of our soul. That means our faith, when it starts out, it's from faith to faith our life. And so we're going to begin in faith as a Christian, and you are going to end in faith as a Christian. That's what God promises. But a lot of times this sort of comes as a, well, okay, great, and then it's all God. But then we get to Hebrews chapter 11, where it talks about these men, these believers, had something in addition to just sitting there saying, I'm trusting God. Their faith was a lot different. But they did have this status that was called righteous. So they have faith as they're Christians, as they're believing. But what also the reason why they are able to have faith is because God has given them the status of righteousness. Now, again, this is 
the righteousness of there's righteousness of God and there's righteousness from God. The righteousness of God is that which is found in the gospel. Romans 1 says, 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and then to the Greek. For in it, the gospel, for in the gospel, notice that salvation isn't the gospel. Salvation is found in the gospel. It's the announcement of the gospel that brings forth salvation. So it says, it is the power of God of salvation for everyone uh, who believes. For in it, <clears throat> the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. So in Jesus coming and dying on the cross and then rising again, God is glorified as being righteous because he did what he said he was going to do. And that is he sent himself as a savior to redeem mankind. That is God's righteousness. <clears throat> we do not get that when we have faith. We don't become God. We don't, get, we don't become many gods. What we get is a status from God that says we are in Christ and now we are counted as if we are righteous. We are accounted as righteous. It's a status over top of your life doesn't do anything to change you, unfortunately, yet. Just like if you were to go in front of a judge and you were to be guilty of a crime and someone were to pay the fine, it doesn't change the, the nature of you who committed the crime because you're now innocent. Well, I shouldn't say innocent, but because now your, your crime is covered and paid for. You are still a sinner. You're still the thief if you stole. But you are now justified as if you didn't. But God doesn't start, stop right there. When he gives us that status of not guilty, and he gives us that righteous status, it's always then manifested out of that is the faith that God also gives and grants unto us in Christ. Because <clears throat> remember, Christ was the faithful one. So when we are in him, we are as accounted as if we were also faithful. So we are now in Christ, justified by faith. Some like to look at this as imputed righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 He made him, <clears throat> Jesus, excuse me, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Think about that. So that we may become the righteousness. So this is the righteousness that's coming. <clears throat> it's not God's righteousness. This is coming from God. Okay, this status that we have. So it's this righteous status or justified status which places us in Christ. And now we have peace with God. Okay, so we've been justified by faith. So now we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, who through whom we've also obtained our introduction by faith into this grace. So you see, faith and righteousness and justification, they're all together. You can't pull them apart. A lot of times people like to pull those statuses apart, and that's when we have a fragmented faith where we then say, well, who's first? Is it Jesus? 
God justifying us before we have faith and we have all these different arguments between is it man's free will or is it God imposing it on us? But in God's timing, we know that it's him that does the saving. He's the one that gives us the righteous status. And he does that so he could bring us into his kingdom and give us faith so we could be used. The only way we could be used by God is if we have that covering of righteousness to bring us in to the kingdom. You can't be outside of the kingdom, unrighteous, without faith, and serve God. Does everybody get that? Just nod. Good. So therefore, now there is no condemnation in those who are in Christ Jesus. You are now in the kingdom of God. You are covered with the umbrella of Christ's righteousness, and that will never be taken away from you. And what's given to you as a security, not just the Holy Spirit, but also this assurance of things hoped for, this conviction of things not seen, this faith, this substance, this thing that God gives us, that we're all obligated to exercise. And so this saving faith, this righteousness, this justification is a gift and an operation by God. There's no other way to get it. Excuse me. It's unavailable to the natural man. Romans 8, 5 to 8 says, For those who are according to the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Here's, what the, here's the rub, though. Because the mind is set on the flesh, it's hostile towards God. So when you're in the flesh, your mind is hostile to God. It doesn't subject itself to God or His law. It's not even able to do so. I love how Paul throws that in there. Don't think that this is going to be you that's going to now change your mind as the natural man and make yourself the spiritual man. No, that is an, that is an operation and a gift from God. And those that are in the flesh cannot please God. You see that? What is, those that are in the flesh cannot please God. But what does the other scripture say? How, how, how do we please God? With faith. It's impossible to please him without faith. And it's also impossible to please God in the flesh. We can deduce there that those are the same. When you are in the flesh, you are not in faith. You are outside of the faith. When you are in the flesh, you're part of that natural man still. You haven't been made new. You haven't been made born from above. But all believers get their heart opened by God. All believers get their heart opened by God. Acts 16, God must do the work. Verse 14, talking about Lydia. The Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. Action, operation by God. Lydia didn't do much. Lydia's heart was closed. Lydia's mouth was closed. Her heart needed to be opened by God and her mouth needed to be opened by God to respond to the things spoken by Paul. 
And if you're not thoroughly convinced, you can look at this verse for the rest of your life and try to figure it out. Romans 8.30, those he predestined, he called. These he called, he justified. Those he justified, he glorified. God is the one doing every one of those actions. So every single person who is called is justified. There's not one single called person that doesn't eventually become justified. When, how, all the, in that spot, in that verse, I don't know. But all I know is that everyone that's called is justified. Everyone that's justified is glorified. A lot of theologians call this the, the, the chain of redemption. Cannot be broken. <clears throat> now also, faith, again, is part of the fruit of the Spirit. So when you become one of Christ, when you become justified, you become righteous in God's eyes, and you have that faith, that's because God's put the Holy Spirit in you. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Faithfulness, pista, same word as faith, different tense, but same thing, same outpouring. <laughs> faith without faithfulness is useless. You could have all the faith, but if you're not faithful, your faith is worthless. So saving faith, again, this comes from God. It justifies us before him, giving us that righteous status. And now we are able to be the people God needs us to be. Okay, from a, from, from a positional perspective, you have no more excuses. You are now placed in the realm of faith with a measure of faith. Now, what will you do about it? Now, this is where this passage comes in. This is where faithfulness comes in. Because faithfulness is the proof. <clears throat> We're considered righteous because of our faith in Christ, not as a result of our actions of faith. So listen to this. Our actions of faith or our actions of faithfulness Prove and validate the righteous status that God has put over your life. Saying, God saying, yes, this is true. Why? Because you're being faithful. You see, that's why he's pointing out all these in the scriptures. That's why Jesus over 30 times, like we said, your faith has made you well in the gospels. Because there's a thing we have to do with this faith. And a lot of us aren't doing it. A lot of us are just allowing it to sit and atrophy and sort of just, it's like the one little talent that we get and we bury because we don't want to lose it. And we don't want the owner to get mad that we didn't do something, at least we buried it. We have that to give back to him. That's not what faith is supposed to do. Faith is given so that it could be exercised because without faith, it's impossible to please God. God is looking, going, I want to be pleased by you but the only way you are going to please me is when you walk and act on your faith. Just sitting still doesn't please God. Now, don't get me wrong. There are times where we wait on the Lord and all that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, like Paul says, when you know what to do and you don't do it, that's sin. Anything that's not done out of faith, he says, is sin. 
So this saving faith leading to an act of faith, leading to faithfulness is what these people, this, this passage was about. And that's what these people were about. They were faithful. Abel was not a guy that caught God's eye. Oh, wow, look at Abel. He's such a good guy. I love how he's tending his flocks. Look at all the millions of people on the earth. Yeah, and I believe there was probably millions of people by that time. Cain and Abel, I know it says like they had, a, they had, they had you know, Cain and then Abel and then they're out in the field killing each other. That's technically probably not the timeline. It was probably a lot longer. There was a lot of people on the earth. God didn't look at Abel and go, yeah, he was the one. He's the guy I want. Nope, Abel, what he did is he manifested something that was already there. He manifested his faith. And so when God gives you this faith, how are you? Well, I shouldn't say when he gives it to you. When you you are considering what God has for you to do in your life, whatever that is, and it could be on any level or any scale, maybe it's taking a step of faith out into ministry. Or maybe it's taking a step of faith out into an area that you know is a very, let's say, high-risk area for you to go to. I don't know, whatever, whatever the case may be. Maybe it's something that you're doing at your job. Maybe you're going to put a lot of things on the line to do it. I don't know what it is. God meets us in every phase of our life, every aspect of our life. And it could be a lot of other more serious Things as well, too. Life-threatening steps of faith that we have to make. But what will we do? Will we plead? Will we have the testimony that we pleased God? Because that's really, it sounds to me like the one testimony that we really want to hear when we get before the Lord. Better than well done. But better than that would be that I pleased you, Lord, because you know what that means? It means that regardless of whatever you were going through in your life, because a lot of times people think faith is all about when things are going just so perfectly great, I just have to keep the momentum going. And, you know, this is really what faith is about, following God and things getting great and great. That's not what faith's about. Usually faith is about bringing you down deep into the darkness And God's going to see what you do and how you act and how you scream and what you grab on for when you're there. And so he's going to take you through those areas like he did with Abel. I thought it was curious when we read that passage that Cain told his brother Abel on what God said to him. He told his brother Abel. If I had Genesis in my Bible, I would go to it. That's a joke. I have Genesis in my Bible, but it's just ripped out. No, but he went to his brother. Look at this. I have it printed out here for Wayne. Well, of course, he went to God first. God said, hey, why are you angry, Cain? Why has your face fallen? Why do you look so poor little old me? If you do well, won't all that change? Won't your face be lifted up? See, Cain didn't really want to do well. Cain was a half-stepper, speculating. But Cain was a half-stepper. He didn't really bring the best of his stuff to God. He was mad. 
Probably because Abel had it a lot easier. I don't know. Who knows why brothers fight? But sin was crouching at Cain's door. And that desire was for Cain. And I like this example better for us than Abel. Because sin is the enemy of faith. It really is. As soon as you're about to take a step of faith, that's when the other options will pop up. And usually they're sinful. Because sin is always crouching at the door of faith. And God said to him, hey, it's crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must master it. Well, come on, Lord, I don't want to have to master it. Isn't the Spirit supposed to do all that for me? No, you have a measure of faith too, Cain. You were bringing some offerings. I want you to master it. And so Cain now tells his brother Abel this. Why did he tell his brother? I don't know. Maybe he was trying to intimidate him. Maybe he was threatening him. Maybe he was saying to him, look at God said to me. Who knows? And then when it came right after that, that they were in the field, that's when he rose up against his brother and killed him. You see, there's a difference between a belief in God and a faith in God. You can believe in God and still sin and kill your brother. But the faith that God is looking for is what Abel brought. And that was a self-sacrificial faith. It was a faith that brought an offering that was pleasing to God. But as we saw in the passage, it was, a, it was an offering that was of his best. Of his very best. And, and you could even say that Abel, after he spoke to Cain probably had an inkling that there was going to be a confrontation. And you could even say that he gave his own life. Now you look, at, you look at Abel's life, and he was the very first person to spill blood. Innocently, his own blood spilt on the ground from a murder. <clears throat> Obviously a murder, not a killing, an illegal murder. And we could obviously point right to Christ, who is an innocent lamb, who was also faithful, gave the best of his flock, gave his very self, his blood crawling out, crying out from the ground. And even Jesus called Abel's blood. We know that Abel is righteous because of what Jesus said about him. Does anyone remember that? When he was talking to the Pharisees, he says, you're going to be guilty. This generation is going to be guilty from the blood of righteous Abel all the way to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, who they killed between the altar and the temple. So Jesus was blaming all the unrighteous blood of of the entire history of Israel on the hypocritical leaders of the Pharisees. So Jesus even tied his own blood into that of himself, uh, Abel's own blood into that of himself, because those were the same ones who had killed Christ. <clears throat> so they're both spilled blood innocently, and they both speak, I guess you could say, of faithfulness. The second thing, the second person that they mention here as well is, 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 is Enoch. Coincidentally, Enoch was Cain's son. And Enoch is a very interesting character that if you really want to get involved with Enoch, you could read 
the apocryphal books of Enoch or the pseudo-apocryphal books or the Old Testament apocryphal books of Enoch, which are interesting, Enoch uh, 1 and Enoch 2, which were well-respected commentaries and books during the time of Christ, not scriptural. But what we get in the Bible is a very small little chunk of Enoch. It says very simply that Enoch walked with God. So we have Abel who gave his, the first fruits of his, of, his, uh, of his flocks to God. God looked at that and said, that's an expression of the faith that Abel has. He's righteous because of that. It's a status that he had, and it was outworked in what he did. He sacrificed his best. Now all we hear about Enoch is that Enoch walked with God. He's in Genesis chapter 5. just a list of genealogies before chapter 6, which is the flood and the the Nephilim and and all those good, cool uh, little stories. And then we see Enoch right before that, just out of the blue, we see that he walked with God and he was not, for God took him. It just doesn't mean God took him up and snatched him out and raptured him. That's not what the word is. It means he just disappeared. He was taken from nothing. If you look at the Hebrew, it's just, Enoch was just taken by God. All of us wish, I guess, we could just be taken by God, especially after we live a few hundred years on the earth. I'm about ready to go after 52. I don't know how he lived three, four hundred years and walked with God. There's only one way to walk with God one day, let alone 300 and some years, and that's by faith. But he's, it says that he... It says that he obtained the witness. The author says here that he was pleasing to God. It says that in verse 6. And then he goes to quantify or qualify. It says, well, without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. And he's a rewarder of those who seek him. So he's tying in the two things. He's saying Enoch walked with God and he was pleasing to God. And he's answering his own objection. But it doesn't say he had faith, but he's saying, well, yeah, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So he had to have faith. Doesn't say all the supernatural crazy things Enoch may have done or all the crazy things he may have seen or any of the great acts of righteousness he may have had or done because he obviously was one of the patriarchs, one of the men of renown. How does God remember him? He walked with me. He walked. That's it. How do we want God to remember us? Well, he did such a great job as a a pastor of the church. He took that church from 60 people to 5,000, and he had planted 4,000 other churches around the world, and he has missionaries in every single thing. Ladies and gentlemen, the man who did not please God and will not be remembered for anything. Because if you don't please God, you won't be remembered for anything. It doesn't matter what you do. If you walk With God, there's where God puts all the value. Isn't that something? (sighs) I mean, it's like if 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 he said, you know what, and those that make a lot of money and do a lot of good things with what they have, they'd be like, all right, all right, cool, I could, I could, um, I got something to shoot for here. No, but do you see how the world is telling you, run the race, go, run, 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 come on, keep going, go, go, and God's going, just walk with me, walk. And trust. 
Yeah, but what about all this other stuff, God? Yeah, just give me the best of what you have. Well, I am doing my best. All right, well, then stop worrying. Yeah, but Lord, I just want to please you. I want to have faith. I want to go step out. Yeah, why don't you just stay where you're at and have faith that I'm going to give you some food by the end of the day. Well, I have food every day. Do you? Really? You see, we need to look at the little things that God is pleased with, but yet we're so caught up in the things that what we believe God is going to be pleased with, or better yet, what we think we're pleased with is what God's putting on our heart. That, that's, that needs to be our passion. No, walk with God. And, and we see all sorts of stuff. Well, first of all, we see, we see Noah who walked with God. We see that, and he's going to be our next guy we talk, we, we talk about. But if you just go through the scriptures and put walk with God, I think one of the main things that comes out is to walk with him with all your heart. That's in 1 Kings 8.23. And then in Micah, we know this one, walk humbly with your God. Mark, uh, Micah 6.8. What does the Lord require of you? We ignore these simple passages. I don't know why we do. Maybe the Christian life wouldn't be so overwhelming if we just focused on what God wanted us to focus on, right? What does the Lord require of you? To do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly. Just to do justice. So do justice. Try to do what is right. Okay? Love kindness. Meaning just be kind. And walk lowly, knowing that God is there and I'm here. Know who you are. That's how you walk with God. That's what Enoch did. And that's assuming what Abel did. And, and we, we know that's what Noah did. Walk and talk with God. I love when he talks, when he, when he gives fathers and mothers the instruction in Deuteronomy. How do you raise your children? There's no seminars mentioned. There's no uh, you know, crazy curriculums. It says very simply to teach people about the Lord in Deuteronomy 6, 5 to 7. Teach the law of God. Teach it diligently to your sons. Talk to them when you sit in your house when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. Are we doing that with God? Are we talking with him when we sit in our house, when we walk by the way, when we lie down, and when we rise up? Are we making God our constant companion? That's walking with God. These are ways that we live out our faith. Noah had it a little bit more difficult. He had to build an ark. Some people said it took him up to 70 years. I'm sure there's people that could give different arguments for that. But we know he didn't do it in 30 days, like some people believe. Probably anywhere between 30 and 70 years. But that, to me, is the hardest thing. See, when God tells me to start building and start using my resources and start using my time for something that I can't see or something that I feel is pretty impossible, that's when my faith gets tested. But that's where God looks and says, you do that and you'll be an heir of righteousness. That's who Noah was. He was an heir of righteousness according to faith. He listened to God. He believed God and he started building in the midst of an absolute perverse generation. And that's what we must do through his word read, preached and acted upon. So 
the, the message to take from, from this is that I'm making a really big deal about faith of really what it's not. Okay, faith isn't about just believing and not doing anything. Maybe that has, maybe you can make an argument with <clears throat> saving faith when God grabs people and you're like, how did this person get saved? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the faith that's in each and every one of us right now that's just sitting there dormant. What would happen if the church of God started to walk by faith, regardless of their circumstances? I don't know what that means to you, but you do. You're holding back on something you need to be doing for the Lord. I could say that about myself in many ways. So it's not about, oh, I'm going to go get my life right and get all do all this stuff. No, it's about going, right? Pleasing God. Be, be willing to give up that first fruits. Be willing to give him the best of your very self. All right, don't save yourself for over here. Give him your very self. Give him the, the, best, the best of your years. Give him your strength. Give him all of it. Give him the very best of yourself. That's what Abel did. And Enoch, just sit around and wait to be taken away. Now, that's not what Enoch did. Enoch lived hundreds of years, had many sons and daughters. And he walked with God. Walked with God so much so that God said, I'm not going to put him through the regular process of death. I'm pulling him right now. And Noah, the same thing. But why did they do all this? They did all of this to be a testimony of faith to you and I. This is why God did this. So that we would be encouraged. It says it right here. To go back to the men of old. How did they gain approval? By doing things for the Lord. Not by waiting for the Lord to do everything, but by getting what God has given them and then moving and taking action. And that's what we're going to see throughout all. We're going to start to see some extreme steps of faith. Next week, we're going to talk about Abraham, which, I, which is really the hub, I guess you could say, of faith. When people think of faith in the Bible, you think of a couple different people. You think of Abraham in the Old Testament and the covenant of grace. And you think of Romans, where they talk all about Abraham. And so we're gonna, we'll talk a little bit about that, but we'll also see what does the author here have to say to us about how we could be as Abraham. So let's pray. Father, we thank you that you respond to our faith, Lord. We thank you that you've given us the faith. We thank you, that, Lord, that you are concerned, and not just concerned, Lord, but you're so invested in us that you want to change us from the inside out through this faith that you've given us, through the works that you've given us to do. But we're resistant, Lord. <clears throat> we need your grace. We need your guidance. Please be gentle. But Lord, I pray that you do use us in the way that you intend. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.